Um, another thing just that works really well with family offices in general is de-risking the relationship transaction. When I reach out to a billionaire and ask him to answer my three questions, he doesn't owe me anything. It's only by using a sense of humor that Mark Cuban acknowledged I exist on planet Earth and answered my three questions. Uh, and with Tony Robbins, it's only because I helped the CEO of an AI company that's backed by Tony and then he answered the three questions. When you reach out to anybody for their time to look at your deal, even if they're a peer, they don't really owe you an email response, right? They're busy with their day, they didn't sign up, and they're not obligated to reply to the ideas that people send over by the hundreds per day or per week. And so what I found is that um, you have to really keep that in mind, no matter how exciting you think the idea is to you, the person doesn't owe you any of their time. And so figuring out how to de-risk that is really important. Our influence and persuasion mastermind, our investor mastermind in October uh, in Scottsdale, Dallas, and New York will go into this. Um, but basically with Dan Sullivan um, as a business coach, I had one year where I listened to all of his podcast episodes, read every book he had written, uh, and I joined his coaching program. But I joined it after I had already made so much money off of the great ideas he had shared that it was like no risk to do so, right? He had de-risked that relationship transaction. So I was trying to keep that in mind. So like for example, with billionaires.com, we're mapping out what companies are owned by a billionaire or what billionaires are on the boards of what companies. We've identified 500 companies of such. So we're going to the companies and the company can ask for a favor from the billionaire because they have an audience with them. They want their investments to go well and we can help that investment go well. So it, it seems indirect, but we think it might be the faster way of getting things done. Um, and so just thinking about how to de-risk that relationship transaction. So you're the one who is taking the risk. You're the one that's doing something for that other person before you're asking them to do something for you. Sometimes that's giving them a structure that gets them uh, less dilution as they raise capital. Sometimes a new client. Sometimes it's connecting the son of a $100 million family with two other sons of two other $100 million net worth families. It's not like a consulting service. It's just something helpful that builds a relationship. Um, you know, Jack Welch, you know, is famous in trying to clean up GE and make sure they're number one, number two, or just get out of the niche. And that was something I mentioned that I saw in Vienna was just that a lot of the families, they wanted to dominate the small niche they were in or be number one in the niche and really be uh, very clear about that and not be in the middle of a herd and just like one, one like everybody else. And so I know for me running this investor club, the people who are doing something different obviously are the more memorable ones. And the same with hitting somebody's email inbox with your offering. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, then you're kind of dead in the water. Um, the other thing I wanted to emphasize is just that when really great deals get done, it's usually a one out of a thousand type deal. It's not one out of 10 deals or out of a hundred deals. Um, and so, you know, one example is a partner who, who came to us and they said, okay, well, we want to do this and we want to create a big platform. And other people in the space who had done that before um, basically said, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you help us with this and give us all this momentum, all this health, then we'll give you 5%. Or you can invest into 2.5% advisory shares if you totally transform our business. Or one offer we got recently was, well, if you help us double our business, we'll give you 2% equity. It's like, oh, well, why don't I double my own business where I own 100% equity? You know, it's like, uh, you know, it doesn't like really compute, right? You have to like think about it from their perspective. And so creating something that's fair and win-win is not easy to do. But having a whole bunch of structures in your arsenal, a good attorney, experience, hearing everyone on stage, will hopefully find creative ways. Sometimes you can have somebody have no equity on what you've done to date and then participate in the upside at starting at ground zero and they have a right uh, to profits above or earnings above or valuations above where you are right now. So they don't get a free lunch, but they get part of dinner going forward, right? Um, other times it can be a right of participation at an exit. 
Uh, other times it is they've grown a sandbox and they've grown it up to this level and you see something parallel you could create and you could be equal partners in that new sandbox, um, but not in the original one. So just being creative and thoughtful, but trying to be slightly generous in it. You know, I've, I have uh, one medical group we work with that is not the most generous and they're always trying to win in every negotiation. They're excellent in just about every other way, but because they try so hard to win, it doesn't make it feel as much win-win. The other party feels like, ah, you know, I care so much about getting like the better term here. Is this really going to be like a great collaboration? You know, it makes people pause a little bit. So you don't want to be that either. Um, and so making sure that um, you're being generous enough and making sure you're looking at thousands of opportunities before you're saying yes to one, ideally, over the macro time, is the feeling you get the, that the most successful families are able to pull off. And I don't even think that we're there yet. We're always trying to strive to get closer and closer to that. Um, the other thing is that a lot of families um, tell me that some of the best deals and best relationships, best joint ventures are done with people they met five, seven, ten years ago, which is pretty depressing for some, like the person who told me that once over one of our dinners said, well, it's depressing to say out loud, but the best things we ever get done, we've known the people for seven to ten years. And, you know, people might come to this event as an investor or someone raising capital being like, oh, well, I need something done in seven to ten weeks. That's why I'm here. Seven to ten months. Uh, I don't have the time to wait for seven to 10 years, but sometimes things move really quick and they align and you get big investor closed, a big deal closed and seem to come out of nowhere. Other times there'll be some that are smaller to mid-sized investors and they go in smaller to mid-sized timeframes, of course. But um, if you don't act in a way that does plant seeds where you allow something to mature over five to 10 years, um, like I was speaking with uh, the Nagel family. I don't know if uh, Joe Nagel, I think, is over there again. It is classic in the corner seat. So thanks for being here. So like they grow teak wood in South America. And I think it's a 25-year maturity, right? And so it takes someone with a certain type of mindset to invest in something that's going to take 25 years to mature. And you could buy into some acreage that has 10 years into the maturity already and kind of space that out. But I was talking to Joel, Joe's dad, and he was telling me how mahogany takes, takes 50 years. And teak is a really hard wood, so it needs dry sun. So in some seasons it gets hardened, and then it grows more, and then it gets hardened. Uh, but it takes a very long time to grow. And in the family office space, I find that when you try to do things too fast, then you actually slow things down. And if you try to do things the right way and build a relationship and build context and add value first and do things in a way that's win-win, ironically, the, the longer feeling path is the faster path to success. Uh, one of our family office competitors recently sold out and didn't make it, and they never scaled up a proper high-quality team like our team has. Um, and I feel like a lot of our success is, is putting out the books and the thought leadership and trying to add value first and, and do the right thing. So um, just having a real long-term mindset, but everyone has to have some wins, short and medium term, or you can't survive and pay your staff and grow or do any marketing, of course, right? So you have to find that right balance. The other deal transaction example I wanted to provide is uh, our acquisition of the largest social media asset in the dental space. Um, you know, they did not want to sell. At first, they wanted a multi-million dollar valuation. Um, then we figured out why they wanted that. Well, really, they just cared about holding on to one little piece of the deal for a certain reason. And we said, okay, well, why don't we buy it and you just hold on to that one little piece of the deal? We don't care about that piece at all. And then they agreed, and we paid one-sixth of the valuation that they had first come out of the gates for. And they stayed on as a partner to make sure that the management of the, of the groups went well, uh, et cetera. And they've been a helpful partner since, and they're motivated to be at the table 
and we would have had to pay six times more if we didn't figure that out. And in Sam Zell's book, he talked about a multifamily development. They're trying to buy up all the land, and one 80-year-old would not sell her piece of land no matter what. All the brokers, everyone gave up trying to get her to sell. So Sam went there himself as a billionaire to this 80-year-old's single-family home, this three-bedroom home, to meet with her. And they said they had, um, they had coffee at her house and, and got into really why she would not want to sell. She said it was because her dog was buried in the backyard. So they exhumed the dog very carefully, moved it to wherever she wanted it to move, and then she was fine selling. So sometimes weird stuff like that that might be related to, oh, well, if we can have my son be in charge of this, then it's going to help groom my son. So we'll do this deal because he's always been passionate about commercial real estate debt or he's always been passionate about learning how medical practices work. Um, so helping groom the next generation or keeping something in the deal or just thinking um, about why the person may not want to sell and then predicting that and saying, oh, well, you know, we could do it like this, but if you value running this dental group or if you value running your expo or publishing your magazine or whatever the asset is, why don't we just keep you in there as president and I'll be CEO and you'll still have some equity. You'll still have upside. When we sell again, you'll get a second exit and just thinking through those moves along the way. I know a lot of you have learned to do that already, but those are just a couple examples of it happening with a billionaire and then just in our own uh, investments.